Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Rock, O Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I want to look at three kinds of covenants in the Bible. The first one here is between man and man. And they need to be re-covenanted often. David is in the wilderness. This is 1 Samuel 23, starting at verse 15. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. He is on the run from Saul. David is the rightful heir to the kingdom. He has been anointed by Samuel. Saul has had the Spirit of God taken away from him. And he does not like it, so he is pursuing David to try to destroy him. Think of the tenants of the vineyard in the parable. Um, The prophets come to take the produce of the land back to the vineyard owner. And the, um, the tenants say, well, they refuse and they beat the prophets and throw them out, the messengers. And then the vineyard owner says, I will send my son. Surely they will respect him. And they say to themselves, ah, here comes the son. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Obviously muddied thinking. This is where where Saul is. He'd come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. Jonathan has made a covenant with David in the past. The first time, it said their souls were knit together as one. God knit their souls together as one. And Jonathan then gave David his armor this symbolic gesture that you, David, are the rightful king. I, as Saul's son, who is to technically inherit the kingdom after Saul, I am abdicating this throne to you because you are the rightful son. And he cut a covenant with him there. The second time he cut a covenant with him was, well, it might have been second or third time. Multiple times he's cut covenants with him. But this other time is when David's hiding out in the field and Jonathan comes to him and says, what are you doing hiding out here? And he says, your father wants to kill me. And he says, nah, that's, that's not true. Well, go check with him. So he goes and checks with him and Saul freaks out and flips out on him. And he comes back and says, you're right, David, he does want to kill you. So run. Um, and they cut a covenant there. They have to re-cut covenants. Here is the third time. Now it says, Jonathan rose and went to meet him and strengthened his hand in God. What does that mean? He's strengthening his hand in God. He is taking the right side in the dispute. Even though he's Saul's genetic offspring, he is allying himself with the rightful king. Just as we Christians, we were born the genetic offspring of Adam, 
complete with sin, complete in rebellion against God. And we ally ourselves with Christ, the new Adam. We have moved from the camp of evil, of sin, of death, of destruction to the camp of love, of grace, of mercy. Strengthening our hand in God by living inside this covenant with God. And he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. So Jonathan is prophesying to David, and that's true. The hand of Saul does not find David. He gets close, as we'll see in a couple weeks. He gets close. But it does not find him. You shall be king over Israel, another true prophecy. And I shall be next to you. Now, this isn't true. Technically, Jonathan is killed before he can stand by David's side. In fact, this very scene where Jonathan goes out to meet David is the last time Jonathan and David see each other face to face. Never again will they see each other. But... Jonathan's descendant, Jonathan's son, is spared and does come into David's kingdom, is allowed to sit at the king's table. So in a legacy way, in a lineage way, Jonathan is Next to David. Saul, my father, also knows this. I think that's a crucial line. Saul knows what he's doing. He knows he has lost. The spirit of the Lord has been taken from Saul. But he's going to pursue David anyway. Just as... World War II, the Germans lost at D-Day. But that did not stop the Nazis from destroying as many lives as they could in the time it took the Allies to move from France into Germany and officially end the war. The war was over. Technically, Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish and Jonathan went home. Last time they see each other. But notice they made the covenant. They had to reestablish and reestablish and reestablish the covenant. Why? Because we're fallen people. We're sinful people. And we need to keep renewing. 
just as the priest had to keep re-sacrificing for the people. Whereas Christ's sacrifice is one and done. And that's the other covenant, the second covenant that I want to get into. And the second and third covenants are essentially two sides of similar covenants. Go to Jeremiah 31. This is a covenant between God and man. Behold, this is 3131. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Whenever you think to yourself, I'm, we do, we do this a lot. My denomination is the correct denomination. There are many denominations that are in a covenant with God. Just as Israel and Judah were both in a covenant with God. That's a, another sermon there. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So here is the first of two covenants with God, between God and man. The first one we broke. Okay? Let's look at that. Deuteronomy 1. So, think of the Christian life. Compare the Christian life to Exodus. Okay? We, all of us, are in a place of death. We are on a fast track to destruction. No one is born saved. Now, God has already before the foundation of the world, accounted for his elect. But even the elect have to go through the process of unsaved to saved. Okay? We are born unsaved. We are born in Egypt. We are born in a dark, sinful Death-riddled place. It's a path to destruction. God rescues us out of Egypt. And he puts us in what? He puts us in a wilderness. Okay? And this wilderness is the rest of the Christian life. Well, that doesn't sound right, does it? I've been taught that I'll have my best life now. I've been taught that once I become a Christian, Jesus is going to make my life better. Jesus does not fix your circumstances. Jesus fixes 
you. Your circumstances may or may not remain rotten. That's God's providence. But God changes you. So whereas before you were responding to your rotten circumstances like a whining, petulant child, God transforms your heart so that you now face the same circumstances with a Christian joy. Okay? God takes us out of Egypt. He puts us in a wilderness, which isn't very comfortable. But he takes care of us there. He makes sure our clothes don't wear out. He makes sure we're fed. And this wilderness is on the edge of paradise. And he shows us paradise. Okay? And here is the analogy. We still have sin in us. And we see paradise and we get scared. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 1.26. Yet you would not go up. He took them to the promised land. He took them by the hand through the wilderness, the Israelites, to the promised land. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there, giants. They don't even believe. Here are the people. He'd been rescued by God out of Egypt. They've witnessed ten plagues put upon Egypt. The last plague they were saved from by putting lamb's blood around the door, the threshold of the door so that the creeping death wouldn't get them. And then they went into the wilderness and the Egyptians chased them and God led them to the Red Sea where they were cornered. And here come the Egyptians And God parted the Red Sea and said, get on in there. And everybody went through the Red Sea to the other side. The Egyptians then tried to follow. The Red Sea's waters crashed down and destroyed the Egyptian army. And now they're following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. How much more evidence do you need that the Lord is looking out for you? But the wilderness, but the wilderness. And then... Heaven's a scary place. I've read Revelation. There's some crazy things in there. There are some big bird angels with crazy four heads, four faces on their heads. And they're flying around weird like. I don't know. Do you have faith? Yeah, yeah, but, 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 but this is scary. 
I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. God's keeping up his end of the covenant. As a man carries his son. Until now. Yet in spite of this word. You did not believe the Lord your God. Who went before you in the way. To seek you out a place to pitch your tents. In fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. They broke the covenant. And many who are brought into a covenant with God break the covenant because they don't have faith. They don't believe. Here's the key. Sin Gets in the way. Their hearts are not inclined toward God. Because sin is in their hearts. And sin draws away from God. Sin doesn't want to get close to the goodness of God. So sin pulls back. Like opposing magnets. Opposing poles. That's the situation people are in. Many. Everybody who is outside of Christianity. And many who are inside of Christianity too. Probably because they've been brought into Christianity by a false gospel. And the reason I bring up false gospels is because the whole second half of the New Testament is about looking out for false gospels. That's part of my job as a pastor to compare the true gospel and the false gospel. Let's go back to Jeremiah 31. We looked at the covenant that Israel broke. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's a new covenant. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. I will remember their sin no more. What God has done, this new covenant... 
that we are in. He has removed the sin from our hearts and replaced it with knowledge of him. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. They will be able to keep the law. They will be able to uphold their half of the covenant because this is no longer an old covenant where I, where God, was holding up my end of the deal but the people are unable to hold up their end of the deal because they're just too sinful. Now I've done something new. I've taken. I've taken the sin away. Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world and I've put in its place knowledge of God. I put God's law in their hearts. It's Luke 23, maybe? Let's look. Now I'm in John. The hour came. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. This is Jesus. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover. Over Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. God's going to get us into that promised land. He has done it by taking away the sin that has prevented us from entering into the inheritance, into the land that he has promised to us. Remember, all those people that rejected God in the wilderness, they all died in the wilderness. It wasn't until the next generation they were allowed in because God made a new covenant and he makes a new covenant with us and it's different from the old covenant. The old covenant, sin is in the way. The new covenant, knowledge of God is here. And the knowledge of God comes through Jesus Christ. He is the actual face of God. And he's going to fulfill his covenant. The covenant is with Jesus. We are in Jesus by faith. We believe in his death and resurrection and that he has atoned for our sins Real fast. Going back to Jeremiah 31. I will forgive their iniquity. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. He takes our sin out of our hearts. Because... He has forgiven 
our sins. Sin is debt. Think of it as a physical debt, an unpayable debt that we owe God. And he has removed that. He has forgiven that sin. He has crossed out the total at the bottom of our page. Forgiven. And now Jesus has taken that sin away. He has made this covenant with God the Father. And by faith in him, we are in that covenant. I've said before that God sort of pulls us out of the old covenant and puts us in the new covenant. That's true, but this is the way he does it. He makes the covenant not with us, but with his son, Jesus Christ. And we enter that new covenant by faith. How do we have the faith to enter that new covenant? God has removed our sin from our hearts and he's put knowledge of him in our hearts. True knowledge of Christ, the Christ of the Bible, the Jesus Christ of the Bible, not the false Jesus Christ that are everywhere in the world. Not all those Jesus Christs that you'll hear day to day that are not biblical, that are not the Jesus of the Bible. Now, this is a true knowledge of Jesus, and that's that provides the faith that we need to be in that covenant. So when Christ says, I will tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He will be eating it with us in the kingdom of God because he will have fulfilled it himself. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him that who betrays me is with me on the table. God offers his new covenant to everyone. And yet, those of us who betray Christ are still sitting at the table with him. It is not our place to judge who these people are, but we must know that at the end of the age, those will be separated out and they'll say, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. And he'll say, I never knew you. How do I make sure I'm not one of those people? Read your Bible. Know the Jesus of the scriptures. He is the true face of God. By faith, you will be placed in this covenant with God that is not a covenant of failure.
because we haven't kept up our end of the bargain. But it's a successful covenant because God himself keeps both ends of the covenant. Amen.